Section 24 of The Lives of the Queens of England, Volume 9, by Agnes and Elizabeth Strickland. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mary Beatrice of Modena, Chapter 7, Part 2. The exiled king and queen of England were invited to the bridal fate of their young relative, Mademoiselle d'Orlan, with the Duke of Lorraine. On this occasion, the queen writes a rather lively letter from Fontainebleau, giving her cloistered friend at Chalot a little account of the manner in which her consort and herself were passing their time in the gay and magnificent court of the Grand Monarch. Fontainebleau, 17th of October. According to my promise, my dear mother, I send you my news of this place, which is good, God be thanked, as far as regards health, although the life I lead here is very different from that at Saint-Germain. I have been already four times to the chase, and we have beautiful weather. The king, that is Louis the Fourteenth, according to his wont, loads us with benefits and a thousand marks of friendship. Of this we are not the less sensible, because we are accustomed to it from him. On the contrary, at every fresh proof, we are penetrated with more lively feelings of gratitude. Our departure is delayed till next Friday. That of the Duchess of Lorraine has rendered us all very sad. She was so much afflicted herself that one could not look at her without weeping. Monsieur and Madame were, and still are, full of compassion at seeing it. They did not return here till yesterday evening. The young bride preserved a demeanor throughout that has charmed all the world, and me in particular, who have always loved and now esteemed her more than ever. I have seen Madame de M. twice. She has been indisposed, but at present she is better. I entered yesterday with her on the chapter of Chalot very naturally. I told her what I had resolved with you, and many other things. She told me that she had represented to the king the state of your house. If, however, you would not be flattered, it is necessary that I should tell you that I do not believe that you will gain anything by that at present for a reason I will tell you when I see you. I am in doubt whether I should speak to her. I have no great inclination, for, in truth, I am ashamed of her and for myself, that I had not the power to obtain anything. I do not seem to have anything to reproach myself with on this matter, seeing that I did all, and will do all I can think of, to render you a little service." There was a grand review on the plain of Hoel, of the French and Swiss guards, at which James and his queen were present. As soon as they arrived on the ground, the king of France made Queen Mary Beatrice come into his coach, in which Mademoiselle and his daughter-in-law, the Duchess of Maine, were already seated. Louis was ever and anon at the door of the carriage, to do the honor of the review to her, but took much trouble in explaining to her the evolutions of the troops, the Prince Royal of Denmark was also at this review, and was treated with great attention. James and his queen met this prince at all the balls, hunts, and other amusements, with amity, notwithstanding his close relationship to Prince George. They were both at the royal hunt, on the 20th of February, where the prince was very much astonished that the grand huntsman, the Duc de Rochefoucault, giving the baton to the King of England, a compliment only paid to the princes of the blood royal of France, but always to King James. Neither James nor his consort were forgotten meantime in England, where the enormous taxes of William's war government, together with the exclusive Dutch patronage and other grievances, caused many to recur, with regretful feelings, to the king over the water, as they significantly styled the deposed sovereign. 
the following enigmatical song titled three healths was sung at convivial meetings by the jacobite partisans at this period both in country and town three healths a jacobite song two ain king and no king ain uncle and father to whom that's all these yet allowed to be neither come rank round about and hurrah to our standard if you'll know what i mean here's a health to our landlord to ain queen and no queen ain aunt and no mother come boys let us cheerfully drink off another and now to be honest we'll stick by our faith and stand by our landlord as long as we've breath to ain prince and no prince ain son and no bastard be shrew them that say it a lie that is fostered god bless them all three we'll conclude with this one it's a health to our landlord his wife and his son to our monarch's return one more will advance we've a king that's in flanders another in france then about with the health let him come let him come then send the one into england and both are at home then towards the close of the year sixteen ninety three mary beatrice suffered excessively from the attacks of that very painful and dangerous malady gallstones and this complaint continued to harass her from time to time for the rest of her life sometimes the pain was so acute that she could not bear the motion of a carriage in the month of december in that year she begins a letter to her friend madame priolo to explain the necessity of her remaining quietly as saint-germain instead of coming to the convent as she had intended in these words man purposes and god disposes you used to say this every day my beloved sister and i prove the truth of it at present seeing i am compelled to remain here to pass this great feast instead of going to chalot to celebrate it with our dear sisters as i proposed with much pleasure to do but i must have patience since there is no help for it for although i am not suffering now the great agonies i have suffered i have some still lesser ones she then goes on to explain her symptoms and says her physicians had forbidden her to undertake the journey to chalot at present the year sixteen ninety four commenced with the strong confederacy of the aristocracy of great britain to bring back the good old farmer and his wife as james and mary beatrice were among other numerous cognomens designated in the jacobite correspondence of that epoch the part acted by marlborough in these intrigues will be seen in the following letters from james's secret agent and himself from which it should appear that both place great reliance on the prudence of the queen letter from general sackfield to lord melford may third sixteen ninety four i have just now received the enclosed for the king it is from lord churchill but no person but the queen must know from whom it comes for the love of god let it be kept a secret i sent it by express judging it to be the utmost for the service of my master that is king james and consequently for the service of his most christian majesty that is louis the fourteenth marlborough to james the second enclosed in the above it is only to-day i have learned the news i now write you which is that the bomb catches and twelve regiments encamped at portsmouth with two regiments of marines all commanded by talmash are destined for burning the harbour of brest and destroying all the men of war which are there this will be a great advantage to england but no consideration can prevent or ever shall prevent me from informing you of all that i believe to be for your service therefore you may make your own use of this intelligence which you may depend upon being exactly true 
but i must conjure you for your own interest to let no one know but the queen and the bearer of this letter russell sails to-morrow with forty ships the rest are not yet paid but it is said that in ten days the rest of the fleet will follow i endeavoured to learn this from admiral russell but he always denied it to me though i am sure he knew this design for six weeks this gives me a bad sign of that man's intentions i shall be well pleased to learn that this letter comes safe into your hands a very different character from this double-minded favourite of fortune were some of the devoted gentlemen who had adhered to james and mary beatrice in their adversity the disinterested affection to both that pervades the following letter from the earl of perth then at rome to colin earl of balcares is an honour to human nature my heart has not been capable of any joy like what yours must feel now when you are to see our king and queen i am sure it must be such a one as to me it is inconceivable at present i am told from home that there's no defence against the forfeiture of my family i thank god i have never been tempted to wish it might subsist upon any other terms than to be serviceable to my dearest master if things go well with him i need not fear and if not should i beg a morsel of bread i hope i shall never complain give him and his lady my duty and kiss our young master's hand for me i have no longing but to see them all together and i must confess i languish for that happiness i am sure if somebody have anything you will not want so you may call for it until your own money arrives continue to love my dearest lord yours entirely etc every year mrs penn the wife of james's former protege the founder of pennsylvania paid a visit to the court of saint germain carrying with her a collection of all the little presents which the numerous friends and well-wishers of james the second and his queen could muster mrs penn was always affectionately received by the king and queen although she maintained the undeniable fact that the revolution was indispensable and what she did was for the inviolable affection and gratitude she personally felt towards their majesties unfortunately james and his queen were surrounded by spies at saint germain and their faithful friends became known and marked persons in consequence of their rash confidence in traitors there was one mrs ogilvie writes one of william's spies at saint germain sent to scotland with the answers of some letters she had brought the late queen from that country she is to be found at the countess of carnwath's lodgings in edinburgh on the seventh of september mary beatrice paid her annual visit to chalot and remained till the king joined her there for the anniversary of his royal mother's death their majesties attended all the services performed on this occasion they were over by noon then the king and queen went to visit one of the aged sisters who was sick in the infirmary they remained with her a full quarter of an hour and then dined together in the queen's apartment in the presence of the community the queen begged the abbess to tell the sisters not to keep their eyes always fixed on the ground but to raise them adding that they all seemed as serious as if they were at a funeral while they were at dinner their majesties talked on various subjects james drew a lively picture of the occupations of men of the world who are governed by their passions either by ambition love pleasure or avarice and concluded by observing that none of those things could give content or satisfaction but that the peace of god alone could comfort those who were willing to bear the cross patiently for the love of him 
the conversation turning on death the king expressed so much desire for that event that the queen was much distressed alas said she with tears in her eyes what would become of me and of your little ones if we were deprived of you god he replied will take care of you and our children for what am i but a poor feeble man incapable of doing anything without him mary beatrice whose heart was full went to the table to conceal her emotion by pretending to look for a book the assistant sister who tenderly loved the queen softly approached the king and said we humbly entreat your majesty not to speak of your death to the queen for it always afflicts her i do so to prepare her for that event replied james since it is a thing which in the course of nature must soon occur and it is proper to accustom her to the certainty of it james only missed a few days of completing his sixty-first year at the time this conversation took place and he was prematurely old for that age that attendant said to the queen when they were alone madam i have taken the liberty of begging the king not to talk of death to your majesty to make you sad the queen smiled and said to her it will not trouble me any more he is accustomed to talk to me about it very often and above all i am sure that it will not accelerate his death a single moment the devoted love of mary beatrice led her to perform the part of a ministering angel to her sorrow-stricken lord but the perpetual penances and austerities to which he devoted himself must have had at times a depressing effect on her mind like his royal ancestor james the fourth of scotland he wore an iron chain about his waist and inflicted many needless sufferings on his person james and mary beatrice were about to pay a visit to the french court at fontainebleau when an express arrived from louis the fourteenth to give james a private intimation of the death of the queen's only brother francisco the second duke of modena who died september sixth at gasuolo of the gout and a complication of cruel maladies in the thirty-fourth year of his age in the evening james broke the news to mary beatrice who was much afflicted all of the amusements of the french court were suspended for some days out of compliment to her feelings and she received visits and letters of condolence from all the members of the royal family and great nobles of france in reply to a letter written to her on this occasion by the duke de vendome the grandson of henry the fourth and the fair gabrielle she says my cousin the obliging expressions in the letter that you have written to me on the death of my brother the duke of modena correspond fully with the opinion i have always had of the affection with which you interest yourself in all that concerns me i wish to assure you that in the midst of my grief i am very sensible of the marks of sympathy which you give me and i shall always be with much esteem my cousin your very affectionate cousin marie r at saint germain en laye the twenty seventh of october sixteen ninety four the brother of mary beatrice was the founder of the university of modena as he died childless the consort of james the second would have succeeded to his dominions if the order of investiture had not preferred the more distant males her uncle rinaldo therefore inherited the dukedom without a question and obtained leave to resign his cardinal's hat that he might marry the princess charlotte felicite the eldest daughter of john frederick duke of brunswick hanover his cousin in the ninth degree mary beatrice considered that 
although she and her son were barred from the succession of the duchy she had a claim as the natural heir to all the personal property of her childless brother and employed the earl of perth to represent her case to the pope unfortunate in everything she gained nothing by the contest except the ill-will of her uncle and a coolness ensued between those relatives who were once so fondly united by the ties of natural affection duke rinaldo joined the germanic league which being absolutely opposed to the restoration of the male line of the royal stuarts to the throne of great britain of course increased the estrangement yet when modena several years afterwards was occupied by the french army and subjected to great misery in consequence mary beatrice notwithstanding the injurious conduct of the duke her uncle acted as the friend of his unfortunate subjects by using her personal intercessions with the king of france and his ministers to obtain some amelioration for their sufferings louis the fourteenth was however too much exasperated against rinaldo to interfere with the proceedings of his general the duc de vendome to whose discretion everything regarding modena was committed by the war minister mary beatrice then addressed the following earnest letter of supplication to that chief by whom she was much esteemed my cousin i am so persuaded of your friendship for me and of the inclination you have to please every one when in your power that i cannot refrain from writing a word to you in favour of the poor distressed country where i was born and where you are at present at the head of the king's armies the governor of modena or those who govern for him in his absence have sent a man here to make known to the ministers of the king the sad state in which that unfortunate city and all the country round it are i have not been able to obtain so much as a hearing for him but they reply to me that no one here can interfere in that business and that the king ought to leave the care of it to his generals who with the intendants must decide about those places consequently this man has made a useless journey and it is therefore that i address myself to you to implore you with all the earnestness in my power that you would be very favourable to these poor people without in the slightest degree compromising the king's interests which are not less near to my heart than my own and preferred by me to every other on earth monsieur le intendant bouchat assures me and will render the same testimony to you of the good will of those poor people to the french to whom they are ready to give everything they have but they cannot give more than they have and this is what is demanded of them in fine my cousin i resign this business into your just and benevolent hands being persuaded that you will do your best to save this poor country if it can be done without prejudice to the service of the king for i repeat that i neither ask nor even wish it at that price i pray you to be assured that i have for you all the esteem and friendship that you deserve of your affectionate cousin maria r the pecuniary distress of the court of saint germain began to be very great in the year sixteen ninety four the abbe renaudot a person entirely in the confidence of the cabinet of the unfortunate james writes to one of the french ministers december seventeenth that the queen of england proposed to sell all her jewels that she might raise the sum necessary for some project to which he alludes connected with the affairs of her royal husband i believe monsieur writes he that i ought to relate to you this circumstance as it seems to me that no one dare speak of the utter destitution which pervades the court of saint germain it is not their least embarrassment that they have no longer the means of sending to england to those who have the wish to render them service 
many persons both french and english resorted to the court of saint germain to be touched by king james for the king's evil angry comments were made by several contemporary french writers on his presuming to exercise that function fancying that he attempted the healing art as one of the attributes pertaining to his empty title of king of france and that it was a usurped function formerly inherited in their own royal saint louis the ninth the representative of the elder line of that monarch james undoubtedly was but the imaginary power of curing the king's evil by prayer and touch was originally exercised by edward the confessor as early as the ninth century in england and afterwards by the sovereigns who in consequence of their descent from matilda atheling claimed the ancient royal blood though james and his consort were now refugees of france and dependent on the charity of the reigning sovereign of that realm for food and shelter they continued to style themselves king and queen by the grace of god of great britain ireland and france james frequently received hints as to the propriety of dropping the latter title but he would as soon have resigned that of england which was now almost as shadowy a distinction mary beatrice writes to her friend the abbess of chalot january fourth to thank her and her sisterhood for their good wishes for the new year sixteen ninety five and to offer those of herself her husband and children in return in the postscript of that letter she notices the death of the duke of luxembourg as a great loss to louis the fourteenth and in consequence to ourselves also she adds she appears a little uneasy at neither having seen madame de maintenon since the day when she had received something which she considered a slight from her it is true continues her majesty as if willing to impute both this and the omission of an invitation to an annual christmas fete at the court of france to accidental causes that the frost and ice are so hard that it is difficult to approach us here and there is so much trouble in descending from this place i believe that this is the reason that the king has not sent for us to come to-morrow as in other years the news of the death of james's eldest daughter queen mary the second reached saint germain january fifteenth and revived the drooping hopes of the anxious exiles there james however felt much grief that she had not expressed a penitential feeling for her unfilial conduct towards him it was expected that an immediate rupture would take place between william and anne on account of his retaining the crown to which she stood in a nearer degree of relationship but anne was too cunning to raise disputes on the subject of legitimacy while she had a father and a brother living her claims as well as those of william rested on the will of the people and any attempt to invalidate his title would naturally end in the annihilation of her own she played a winning game by submitting to a delay which the debilitated constitution of the dutch king assured her would be but a temporary duration and she openly strengthened her mutual interests by a reconciliation with him while she continued in a secret correspondence with her betrayed father it was perhaps through her artful representations that james neglected to take advantage of the favorable crisis produced by mary's death he was vehemently urged at that time by his partisans to make a descent in england and assured that even the support of ten thousand men would be sufficient to replace him on the throne the french cabinet could not be induced to assist james at that crisis and he was fretted by the proceedings of his daughter by arabella churchill who having been left a widow by the early death of her husband lord walgrave 
married Lord Wilmot privately, but not soon enough to save her reputation. The Queen forbade her her presence, and James ordered her to retire to a convent in Paris, till after her confinement, as great scandal was caused by her appearance. Acting, however, by the advice of her mother, with whom she had always been in correspondence, she fled to England, and made her court there, by revealing all she knew of the plans of the unfortunate king, her father. King James had not a more bitter enemy than his former mistress, Arabella Churchill, now the wife of Colonel Godfrey. The Duke of Berwick, about the same time, took the liberty of marrying one of the fair widows of Saint-Germain, against the wish of his royal father and the queen, who were, with difficulty, induced to sanction the alliance. The lady was the daughter of Viscount Clare, and widow of Lord Levin. The displeasure against Berwick was short-lived. Mary Beatrice very soon appointed her new duchess as one of her ladies of her bedchamber. She was much attached to her. It is mentioned by Dongu that the King of France gave the Duke and Duchess of Berwick apartments at Versailles, because he knew it would be agreeable to the Queen of England. While the partisans of the exiled royal family were in a state of feverish anxiety, awaiting some movement or important decision on the part of James, both he and Mary Beatrice appeared to exhibit a strange indifference to the chances of the game. Carl, the Secretary of State at Saint-Germain, in a letter to the Earl of Perth, dated July 4th, 1695, after a discussion of state affairs, says, The King and Queen are both absent from Saint-Germain, but will return this night, having spent four or five days severally in a ramble of devotion, the King at La Trappe and the Queen at Chalot. The Prince and Princess are in perfect health and grow up to the wonder of everybody. In the month of August, Louis the Fourteenth gave a stag hunt in the forest of Marley, expressly for the amusement of Mary Beatrice, whom he was anxious to divert from the ascetic habits which, like her consort, she was much too disposed to practice. In October, Louis invited her and James to spend several days with his court at Fontainebleau. The formal round of amusements in which the exiled king and queen were compelled to join, with absent and sorrowful hearts, appear to have occupied without interesting Mary Beatrice. In a letter to her friend, Madame Angelique Priolo, she says, These six days past, I have sought for a moment to write to you, my dear mother, but without being able to find one. Yesterday evening, I thought myself sure of the opportunity of doing it before supper, but Monsieur de Pontchartrain, a person not to be neglected, certainly, as he was one of the cabinet ministers of Louis the Fourteenth entered my chamber, just as I would have finished my letter to our mother, and prevented me. I strive to do my duty here, towards God and man, but alas, I fail greatly in both, for in this place there is so much dissipation. Yet it is certain, also, that I am never so much persuaded of the littlenesses and vanities of this world, as when I am in the midst of its grandeurs and its great appearances. I shall complete my thirty-seventh year to-morrow, Pray to God, my dear mother, that I may not spend another without serving and loving him with all my heart. In conclusion, she says, I do not know as yet when I shall go from hence, but I believe that it will be one day next week. I am, as usual, always well treated by the king and everyone else here. That minute court chronicler, Don Gu, gives these particulars of a visit paid by Mary Beatrice and her lord to the French court at Versailles, November 9th. The king and queen of England came here at three o'clock. The king, that is Louis the Fourteenth, 
walked with them to his new fountains and his cascade they were a long time with the king when he returned to madame maintenon the queen sat down to cards louis always delighted to make her play but she generally quitted her cards soon after under the excuse of going to prayers when the supper was announced the king took both her and the king her husband and placed them at his own table the dauphin had another table the queen was only attended by four ladies who were the duchess of berwick the duchess of turcanel and the ladies almondi and buckley when they rose from table the king and queen of england returned to saint germain lady turcanel was a great favorite of the queen she was not altogether so trustworthy as her husband her chief error was not in intention but a habit of scribbling news incessantly to her treacherous sister lady marlborough the exiled queen had as she expressed herself in her letter a friendship for turcanel and an unshaken reliance on his fidelity to king james which he had proved through good report and ill report to the hour of his death End of section 24